This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, how's things? How's the day been going so far? Oh, yeah. it's. I mean, everything's been... Um obviously difficult but i've been trying to keep busy in this in in this time i mean new york's it's just today just it just got a little bit gl- uh like grim the last two days because it started raining and it hasn't been that bad over the summertime because you can sort of eat outside and and to be quite honest there's no bridge and tunnel and there's no tourists so it hasn't been it hasn't been terrible there's been losses but lifestyle's been okay and then but then it just started like it was like raining and cold the last two days and it sort of was just like a scary little preview of um what new york's gonna be like in the winter during the lockdown yeah the winters can get pretty rough though can't they yeah i mean yeah yeah it's it's a tundra <laughs> some years <laughs> i mean i've been here for enough time to know that yeah some winters aren't as bad but some of them are just horrific like you just i remember i think it was like 2014 late in 2014 i was like going to like a label meeting uh, on broadway and i I was at my girlfriend's house and i like had jumped out of the shower and then just ran out because i was running late and my hair froze to my head on the way to the meeting Man, and they're like don't rush your finger through your hair you'll just pull your hair out it was it was it was was like minus something minus 20 wind chill or something like that it was insane that's terrifying yeah it can get pretty hectic but Hopefully it's, I mean, I I know that they've passed a whole bunch of outdoor dining laws and I think they're allowed to use space heaters and stuff. So hopefully the, I mean, the restaurant industry is going to take a hit, but hopefully it doesn't take a hit too bad, you know. How long have you been in New York? How long have you stayed there? Um, I've been on and off for, I think my first, I got my first place here in 2000, yeah, 2015 or 16. But then I went back to, I was in LA for a year before that and then I was, and then I went to LA for like a year and a half. Now I've been back now for nearly two years. Nice. I mean, I imagine they're quite different culturally, New York and LA. Yeah, I mean, they're miles apart. I think uh, I love New York. I went, I went back to um, LA for a relationship, and then that ended, and then I came back here. <laughs> New York's my favorite, my favorite place on earth. It's hard for me to to compare the two because of how much I love New York. Do you think you'll ever leave, or is that you kind of there set for life? 
Yeah, um, I, um, it's funny you say that I'm actually leaving on Tuesday for a little while, purely for work reasons, you know, there's not, I don't think there's going to be much live music uh, happening in, in America at, at all uh, in the next sort of six or seven months and I'm actually going to, I'm coming to Europe so I've got, I've got a, a place that I work out of, um, a studio I work out of in Florence. Nice. So I'm going to Florence on Tuesday for, I guess, um, the, the suitable future just for the next maybe six months or seven months. See how I go. I know that I've got, I mean, I've got some tame stuff coming up in the middle of next year, but until then, I've been working on a couple of projects of my own, and I think that's going to be the best place to sort of start. I can sort of play, you can play these sort of outdoor gigs in, in Europe right now, and yeah, especially for a size of, for the size of shows that I do, whatever, 500, 500 cap spaces I can sort of play outside solo if you know what i mean yeah it'd be good to give those songs 11 to kind of breathe in that space yeah i mean i, li- I love playing solo i've missed it i haven't played solo in about three years oh but another like thing maybe like two and a half years so i miss playing solo and i think i'm going to try and do one if the weather's okay in florence there's a beautiful amphitheater just outside of florence in Fierasol, and it's uh it's like a 2000 cap old roman amphitheater they've started doing shows at because everything's at 25 percent capacity right now i feel like i can um maybe put a show in there in october november if the weather permits that'd be great yeah yeah man i'm excited about it how have you found not playing live i imagine this is the longest you've gone without playing for a while yeah yeah this is the longest i've been i've the longest in about 10 years i think it's probably longer than that i mean it's always like i've always sort of juggled in between uh, my tame parlor commitments and before that it was pond as well and then and then my solo stuff so i come pretty much straight off a tour with tame and then go back on one of my tours or finish one of my tours and go back on like a couple of years ago it was like i had i did like a solo run and then i went straight back out with uh tame and then i did a tour of the arctic monkeys and and so i i'm i'm to answer in short yes i'm missing missing playing very very much have there been any advantages from kind of getting a wee bit of time to pause for breath though is there anything that you've yeah found from it yeah a little bit um i've definitely you definitely this this whole time, I feel like that's been with a lot of people, whether you're creative or not, you've sort of been forced to uh, sit with yourself. You know what I mean? You sort of sit with yourself and sort of you sort of take like take stock of what you're doing and what you've done and how you feel about this and how you feel about that. I remember having some different ambitions, the sonic ambitions. If you want, if we're talking music, like sort of towards the end of last year, and now it's sort of just changed everything because I because you, you I sort of just for the first like. I was completely by myself for the first eight weeks, didn't see anybody. And I just had a studio in my apartment. So I was just sort of going over literally everything I've done over the last like, <laughs> like two years. So like demos and ideas and, and sort of no, like notes, I've, you know, thousands of pages of, of notes. And, um, and then like thousands of voice memos and things like that, that I've sort of accumulated. And it's kind of like, I was like, oh yeah, that's the sort of headspace I was in when I was doing that. And it's weird. I don't feel like that anymore at all. Is it, ever, is it working or reliving those moments through hearing it? Yeah, yeah, it is sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, what the, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, I'm just like, what is this? What, <laughs> what was I thinking? Like, what was it like? Cause, but I guess it's just, I, I can be like that sometimes in general. Though, you know, if I'm not uh, paying attention, like a broader goal, sometimes I can, I, I very easily fall down rabbit holes, which can be good, but sometimes it's bad. <laughs> Where do you start when you're, when you're looking through that stuff of those thousands of memos and thousands of notes? Where do you kind of begin? Kind of where I'm at and go backwards. Like, for instance, if I'm opening up a, a live Ableton live session, I look for, I look at like the most recently done one. And then, and I've got, you know, they're all marked like 
point one, you know, one point one, one point two, one point three, two point two, you know, tempo up two point five. Like if I'm sort of really sort of trying to sculpt a song of something or ideas, or I sometimes I put dates on them. I usually go from where I am and work backwards, and just to see where I've come from if I'm going to go somewhere else with it. What sort of things do you notice when you're looking back through it that you might not have been able to see at the time when you were initially first working on it? So, I mean, sometimes it's um, where the inspiration for something came from. So say like I'm, I'm, I'm going just for instance, I was working on something yesterday and it was something that it's a song that I've had for like three years and I forgot, completely forgot about this like thing that I um, sped up in the verse because I did it like a 4.1 and a 4.2 and in the 4.2 I slowed back down the verse. And I was like, oh, why? I mean, how did I even forget about Sometimes I'm working on two or three things at once and I just completely forgot about this time that I almost like double timed the, the B section and it sounded cool. So it's, I don't know, I just, I just look for like the little inspired bits and, 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 and it makes me think about where, how I would have even come up with that, with that idea, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess if you've changed as a person as well in the interim, they can kind of spark different things within you that they wouldn't. Have yeah, totally. That's, and that's a big thing for me. I'm, I'm, I, uh, to a fault sometimes i'm a bit of an open book with my music so you know you grow and you want to say different things and well you yeah you i guess every like everybody does you sort of look inward a bit more and figure out a way to say sometimes say things with less words sometimes say things with more words sometimes say things with faster or slower ideas i don't know try, and try to like see the whole thing through don't try I, I, i've been actively working to not be so impulsive with my music making you know Sort of think about stuff a little bit more. You mentioned as well that you kind of you had a few projects that you've been working on. How do you how do you group stuff? How do you know what's kind of going to come together and, and fit as one and work as a kind of maybe something that's going to be more of a body of work? I don't. I don't. A lot of the time. Um. I mean, I've I have ideas. Like the one thing, the main thing I'm working on is a short film. Uh, shot like five years ago, probably five years ago. Yeah, so that's the main thing. So it's a short film with me in it driving across America and it sort of explores these um, five stages of grief. I've, I became sort of really into, um, I'm a big sort of philosophy junkie and psychology junkie and um, I got really into um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I had like a loss, like I lost someone in my life and and so this, this footage kind of, we shot this footage really sort of back, like hapstance and then anyway, so... And then, and then I, we didn't really know what to do with it for years. Me and a, and a friend of mine, Mike Bennett, is director. And we didn't really know what we were doing. And we were just sort of making stuff up every day. And, and then sort of at the more I looked at it and I went over it, I was like, it could be this. And so I shot a bunch of extra footage at the end of last year uh, in Los Angeles with a friend of mine, which was sort of tied it into more of a concept, this sort of reshoot stuff. And then, but then I'm basically, then I'm scoring the out. So it's, it'll be, it's kind of going to be like a short film that's an EP that I want to sort of play the show on the road as well, if I can, um, next year. So that that has been taking up a lot of my head space. Um, sometimes deadlines, to answer your question, sorry, that was a bit of a roundabout answer, but sometimes it's deadlines that, that, that to decide what you're working on. Like I just this morning before, you, before we spoke, I was working on a trailer for an, another, a, a short film that's in the film festival, doing the film festival circuit now, um, that, my, that guy Mike shot like last year and so during quarantine i scored that film and did the sound design for that film so and then he goes oh i need to get a trailer for it for a certain for a certain music festival and so i did that <laughs> this morning so 
Yeah. That short film about the five stages of grief sounds fascinating, though. Basically, it's it's just um, it's, I mean, I guess the elevator pitch is just a guy going across, and then as he's driving, he's leaving these answering machine messages, and uh, you can feel the sort of and you know, well, like, I've tried to make it so you can feel. Uh, it feels very real, and you can feel uh, the stages because the, st- the five stages are um, it's uh, denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance are the five stages. And and if I've so yeah, if you've read, I don't know if you've ever read anything about it, but if you've read like I've read like uh, Death and Dying and Grief and Grieving, and she she was a really interesting person herself, Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Her philosophy, I think, she was kind of spiritual but scientific and. And I've always been fascinated with her. And then, oh, well, I've always had a t- taken a fascination. And then I had a bereavement in the family and I got more and more into it as an idea. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. So that that's sort of my, been my main focus. I'm editing that right now and then making the songs sort of all have a have a linear idea about. So like eventually I'd, I'd like to play. It's a short film. It's only like 14 minutes long, but it's like I'd like to play sections of it when I start playing live. Yeah. When you shot that initial footage five years ago how has your kind of mindset changed between then and shooting footage for it humongously again kind of in quite different stages of the process yeah humongously humongously back then i didn't like i said I did, we didn't really know what we were doing like we, we were just shooting something about something about grief and something about loss and some and then and we didn't really know what it was and then i've done more and more and more reading over the last couple of years and, and i just and i wanted to find something because i think the be- the footage is really beautiful there's like some vistas over like taos new mexico and uh, some beautiful shots from Arizona and Kansas when you're driving through like Big Sky, and uh, I I guess like but when we shot it I was like I think I was it was like the first I was driving to to be like I was driving my stuff from Los Angeles to New York because I was moving and Mike the director was like what are you doing this week and I said I'm moving and he and he's like what do you mean are you just gonna fly I was like no no I just chucked everything in a van and I'm just gonna drive he's like by yourself I was like yeah I love it I love because I'd driven across so many times touring with bands I just I love it I love driving driving is like my release kind of sometimes and so I just did it and he goes can I come with you and I was like yeah sure so he just flew over and as I left my house I picked him up at LAX and we drove across together and then every day we'd write like a funny little, little funny little scene, sort of some sort of scene, some idea. I was like trying my best. The acting is terrible, <laughs> but it's all, it'll all come, it, hopefully it'll all come out in the edit. <laughs> it sounds like a really kind of free fluid thing, though. Like quite a yeah, it was. It started. Experience. It started really. It started really free flowing, and the more and more I watched it, the more and more I drew from things that have happened to me over the last two or three years, and turned it more into a. Um, into a story there's a story there there's more of a narrative it's not like a it's not it's not like um there's obviously not a whole bunch of dialogue but the answering machines messages that you hear along the way kind of uh signpost the protagonist's state you know does that ever happen in music as well does the narrative sometimes kind of reveal itself as you as you get further yeah. in the process yeah definitely definitely um one of my really good friends i who i write a lot of music with uh, i wrote a lot of lyrics with he like when I'm sitting around with him, he's like, "You should take that, take that word out, and maybe it's this." I said, "Oh, that's really good." He goes, "Yeah, I don't like that lyric," but he goes, and but he was the one that understood me. He's like, "You would never have got to this place if you hadn't have written that cheese dick lyric. Like, it's a kind of cheesy." He's like, "If you had, if you, if you had never written that really cheesy one, you would never have come up with this one." You know, like it's and and I've for a long, 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 long time have been a process over product, you know, person. I think when I was like 
in the growl and like the first band I was ever in, I always thought thought that like process was more important than the product. Obviously the product is, but like I think you, you're not learning anything once you've already put it out. Well, I don't anyway, personally. I guess the emotional release as well kind of comes during that journey. Totally. But I mean, I kind of love like the when you're piecing it all together and that's what you remember, you know. I mean, I guess if you're like a superstar, you remember like playing big stadium shows and people singing those words. But then again, I guess like things would happen like I've never played. I mean, I've played them in Tame, but I never played with my music. I have. I never played like in like a big stadium show. I guess songs can take on different meanings for other artists after the fact. You know, you know, some maybe a sad song that you didn't want to play ever. You know, twenty thousand people relate to and they want to sing it. So all of a sudden, it gives you a different feeling than it initially did. You know, if initially you wrote it about like whatever heartbreak or or um a, a terrible time in your life but then and so you you didn't particularly like playing it again because it reminds you of that thing but then maybe it maybe it's maybe it's the big sing-along in your set now you know is it ever easy to like romanticize kind of heartbreak when you're working on it with music and you create do i romanticize do, 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 do i do i you ask, do i romanticize is it easy to kind of do that when you're when you're crafting something beautiful from a hard, or a hard experience kind of i kind of i think i did that so much when i was young like I used to write a lot of stuff that was just so literal and and it, I think it's like it's like uh, how Jerry Seinfeld talks about using the word using the F word because he doesn't swear in his stand-up sets um, ever so he's like getting he's like using the F word or cussing in general is like uh, it's like getting in a Ferrari you know he's like where like and of course of course you if you're gonna zoom slice someone in the fire they're like whoa because you can you can drop the f-bomb or whatever you want to say he's but he's more of a like a um like a model t ford guy i think he says something like that i think he, i think i can't remember the car he used but he said he's like i'd rather i'd rather show up to, to the drag race in like a, a ford pickup truck or something like that. that's how i feel my comedy isn't and in the same way there's a guy this, uh, this is amazing writer rainier rilke he's written one of my favorite books of all time um letters to a young poet and he's writing he's giving advice to this young poet and he's like don't ever um love songs it's something along the lines of like love songs are the easiest ones to write but they're the hardest to master and i feel that like they're the easiest ones because you're sad and you're i mean they are for me anyway you're sad and you're upset and you're whatever and and you can just sort of say all this stuff and i've definitely guilty very very guilty of that unlike especially my first record and the more and more I get grow older, and the more and more I realize it's like the the more fun thing to do is yeah make make everything a, li- a little bit more uh, I guess transcendental like where it can be it can we can have multiple meanings it means a lot to you but so like I don't I try I literally have been trying my hardest over the last like year and a half to not write any sort of songs about love or anything like that <laughs> sort of a bit more reflective rather than like. Looking in rather than looking out, if that makes sense. So yeah, Rain, I think Rainier Rilke says he's like, yeah, the hardest, the best poems in the world are love songs, and the best, some of the best songs in the world are love songs, and and that's they're, they're the easiest to write, but the hardest to be good at, if that makes sense. The same, it, do, am I making sense with my Rainier Rilke and Jerry Seinfeld uh, yeah references? Sure. <laughs> no, I, I completely get what you're saying. I mean, when now that you've kind of you, you're speaking about this kind of conscious this idea to look past love songs for a bit and kind of dive into other aspects of yourself. How is that, what sort of stuff have you been looking at and how is that going to change your perception of yourself if you're kind of looking a bit more internally? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's changing, it's definitely changed me a lot, you know. Um, whether it's with, like, from experiences of growth or loss. It, like, like, loss always, like, it's always very turbulent. 
those things are, are turbulent and trauma in, in, is 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 inherently tur- turbulent but i think there's it's when it when everything calms after that is when you can really start looking at yourself i guess you start to i guess I'm just, I'm just getting older you start to look at like the way that you handle everything the way that you see everything well, it's changed me immensely like I, i've started writing more about how i interact with the rest of the world not just with like whoever's in my whoever's directly in front of me and how i and how i re- react not even so much interact how i react to you know whether it's i don't know world events or things anyone's and anyone that anything that anyone says to me on the street uh, rather than going like they did this and they did that it's more like this is how i feel about this is how this made me feel but then try and use less words try and use less descriptive words so so something happens to me or i feel something you know then it's like how did that make me feel and how would how not how would it make everyone else feel but how would anyone else arrive at this feeling and then try and find a, a, a scenario where uh, more people would feel how I'm feeling right now. You know, am I, am I making sense? It's like, um, yeah, yeah. How like so? It's not so. It's like I stub my toe on a curb. Um, that hurts my foot, which then hurts. You know, then um, goes into my knee. If this if this is making sense at all, like say I roll my ankle and, and the injury ends up in my knee. I try and think of another way that more and more people might hurt their knee. <laughs> rather than it's something specifically that happened to me it's more about like a, a a a series of words or chords or a feeling that might make someone feel like um i'm not just singing about stuff that's happened to me you know make it a bit more relatable how does that affect the kind of presentation of it then because obviously with the, the debut record it was very kind of lush you know orchestral arrangements because of the romance of the of the lyricism has that changed now going forward if you're kind of moving away from it a wee bit uh a little bit so, yeah yeah totally actually i i think um definitely it's not as blunt i think is the best best way to put it it's not as blunt as the first record it's sort of the, the more stuff i'm doing it's sort of i'm trying to make it feel more if 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 this makes sense at all i see i don't know how you guys hear my music as to how i do so i think i'm trying to make it a bit more um like it feels a lot more personal like some of the stuff like i i'm a big um I have obsessions. I have obsession with answering machine messages. So I've I've made I've like all through the new album. There's lots of stuff with like um, stuff things that my friends have left me on answering machines, like little like skits. I guess were they real? You know that my friends have recorded. I'm like call this number and say say what you think about this. Yeah. So uh, I guess so that sort of feels very personal. I've got some weird little spoken word bits on the album. Um, the album itself is sort of, I think it's taking more of this sort of like mixtape feel where it's sort of, at the moment anyway, you know, it's not really neat, it's not really done at all, but it, it feels like it's a bit less linear in its, in its presentation uh, and the lyrics are definitely different. Like the lyri- lyrics are, are, like I said, a lot more self-reflective rather than just experience, experience like just purely based on experience. If, uh, it feels like this sort of weird sort of notepad that with bits that are scribbled out and bits that are, um, I guess that's the only way I can describe it right now. But definitely the lyric, the lyricism is, has sort of stepped away from that, like from that straight up love song style. I guess it sounds quite rooted in reality as well. With what you're saying there about the answering machine messages and stuff, like it's got kind of more of a direct eye to yourself, like quite literally. Yeah. Well, I want. I just want. I want. I want things. I seem like the, I felt like the last album. If if I can be critical of it, I felt felt a little bit more like I felt like there was a lot of sheen on it, which is cool. It's a time and a place, and it's got like it it has a time and a place in my 
whatever it's in all albums and all pieces of art are just sort of like milestones in you know life for me anyway um so that one is definitely like it has this like like paint job <laughs> you know what i mean it has this like it has a paint job and wax job and a, and a spoiler you know and some rims whereas this this sort of feels a bit more the stuff i'm doing now feels like a bit more like you're in my living room if that makes sense yeah i think that's put although what you're saying there about it having the sheen about it, i think that's what partly makes it so effective like when you have that those moments in that first record where you're self-deprecating like look at disposable i think part of the reason why that song works so well and lands with such an impact is that it's done in this kind of grand presentation but it has this real kind of vulnerable heart to it that it's kind of allowed to shine because of that that's kind of the point yeah but um i'm glad you got i'm glad you got that <laughs> but um yeah yeah i mean that's like that was very much same with wasted infidelity is like a big like joke oh, it's not a joke but it's a, it's a very tongue-in-cheek that song yeah and disposable and Sometimes it might not seem that I'm trying not to take myself too seriously. <laughs> yeah, and that's quite cool as well because the again with the presentation of the album, it's quite American. Whereas that kind of idea of being sort of self-deprecating, I know it's quite a British thing. Is it is that quite prominent in like Australian culture as well? Yeah, yeah. My my mum's from the UK, and, and she didn't let me oh, get away no. with much. And a lot of my good friends uh, from uh, from England. And yeah, it it definitely is like it was a very juxtaposed the first album was very juxtaposed because as far as the production went everyone I was around and my friends um who the studios I was working in and and some of the uh people I was working with were just I was like yeah man we could put strings I was like yeah dude let's do it man it's like a very especially in Los Angeles it's a very yes place if you know what I mean it's like I'm gonna do that yeah let's do this let's do the strings we can do that I say every sort of whim that i had like let's put some horns on it oh let's get some uh let's get this 16 piece string section let's um when we like we recorded the strings in like the place where they recorded the strings for psycho on that album <laughs> you know hitchcock psycho so everything so that was very american about it but i guess that some, a lot of the lyricism was was a bit self-deprecating there are there's, there are moments of like american-ish swaggery bits where i'm sort of just giving it the big one if that makes you know what i mean watch me take away is kind of got that swagger about it yeah yeah that's like yeah that was like that album the whole you know there was gonna be a whole album that sort of just sounded like that because i'm such a like waits if i love tom waits and i love nick cave the birthday party so there was like gonna be a whole album where it just pretty much sounded like that and then it just sort of i moved to la and it just sort of took on this whole other feeling you know making music you know it's just definitely it's definitely got a californian sound that that record i know you mentioned doing the the strength of the record in the same place i did the stuff for psycho was that quite important to you were you into films like that kind of growing up no not growing up i guess like when i was growing up i had a pretty limited like film thing like we were pretty we were really poor we didn't really have a lot of, i had like i just remember having as a kid i had like stuff that i'd taped off the tv i had back to the future two and star wars i guess they've all got pretty good if you think about it they've all got pretty good um who does uh, Back to the Future? Zemeckis. Yeah, I was going to say Zemeckis. Zemeckis and then John Williams did Star Wars. And then I had, what was the other one that I was really into? I had like two or three on film. And then like Disney stuff. But then as I got old, I didn't really get like into cool stuff until I was like way older. Like I think I was like 20. I didn't even read like, I don't think I read like, I, re- I didn't really have, didn't really like read that much at all when I was a kid. I was kind of dyslexic and, and ba- I failed English. Uh, I was the only only kid in my class to fail English, so I didn't even read. I didn't think I read a book until I was like twenty one, like a full book. And my, you know, Nick from Pond. Yeah. Um, Nick got me when we were living together. I think I was twenty or twenty one when we were living together. I don't remember. Uh, he like one year he's like, I can't believe that you don't read. <laughs> 
he's like, you're not. A, he can't believe you're not a reader. So Nick got me. Um, he's like, my 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 Christmas gift to you is the book is the gift of reading, and he got me, on the road, Nick Caves and the Ass Sully Angel, the Sun Also Rises by uh, Ernest Hemingway, and one more. Oh yeah, The Outsider, Albert Camus. And then I after that I became a really big. I read a lot. Those are four very well chosen novels to try and trip someone. Yeah, he's read. got he's got amazing. Nick's got amazing taste in books. Um, and Nick, so Nick got me that. That was like my, that was like the first time I I started like reading books all the time. So like I didn't and I, and so that's what, what sort of picked my interest into like really cool filmmaking. And yeah, I think as I got older, like over the, the last ten, probably just probably just the last ten years, nine years, I've I've got like I'm a big film of like i love films and that's like sort of why i've been sort of transitioning into um filmmaking a little bit a little bit i still want to make albums but i feel like i i feel like the thing about songwriting for me has always been about the story i think if i look at it from a broader spectrum I, it's like i said this year i've been taking stock of everything that i've been doing or have done and if i think about the sonics of my last album because you can't help but look back sometimes you think about the sonics of my last album they're very cinematic okay in some spots you know and then and and I, and I also also would lo- I love like a really 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 strong narrative like I started doing spoken word about five years ago like there's one track on the like deluxe <laughs> deluxe deluxe album if anyone's uh, if anyone wants to get it um, the deluxe camp every album has got a, a spoken word on it and so I sort of I've been always been into this sort of big sort of telling storytelling thing so that's how I sort of have sort of been like dipping my toes and transitioning into film I've started writing a lot of screenplays and, and stuff like that. So is that was that whoever said gambling is for suckers? Is that on the only on the deluxe version? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that. I mean, that's a fascinating song because it really takes that kind of that narrative idea that's kind of sprinkled out the first album and is present in all the songs and does it in quite a literal and yeah, kind of yeah. Well, I started I started writing full on. Um, that's why I wanted to do this this film and and score the film and then the other thing I'm going to Italy for is I wrote a short film. Um, an Italian, it's a black and white Italian film that's we're gonna shoot in January. Oh, it's another short film. It's like a twelve-minute short film, uh, just about about the same thing about you know process over product about work. And so I wrote it like late last year, like August September, and then I um, yeah, and so we're gonna try and shoot. And I, I I know a couple of amazing actors in um in Italy, so I'm sort of translating it with them uh, at, right now, and then we're gonna shoot it in I think. Probably January, February, or something like that. Are you going to do that in uh, Florence? Yeah, yo, it's an Italian film set in Florence, in cast by Italians. Like, I don't, I don't speak enough Italian to like translate the whole script. But um, yeah, I guess that'll be my first thing that I've officially gonna like direct. And yeah, there's and other stuff. I've I've been working on a couple of other screenplay stuff because I just I kind of it's sort of a bit of a release for me sometimes because I'm not bound by you know whatever four and a half minutes or and it doesn't have to rhyme. It's just a story. <laughs> It can have a fluidity about it as well in the same way music does. You can, you know, there's a rhythm to cinema. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like, that's been the hardest thing. I've started writing my first feature length thing and uh, I've been more and more this last like two weeks reading, um, uh, reading, reading others, other people's screenplays that I admire and just watching films that I love and, and just sort of seeing how like, how the plot develops for two different characters and when, when you focus more attention on this person and that person and yeah the flow of everything has been something that i've had to that you have to grasp if you're writing anything longer than 12 15 minutes i was gonna say what screenplays were you reading 
that you've come uh, to Last out. week I read No Country for Old Men. It's one of the greatest films of all time, in my opinion. And oddly, my friend goes, why is that one of your favorite films? And he goes, it's... And I didn't even notice for such a long time. I've, I've watched it. I, I can't count how many times I've watched it. But he goes, he goes, it's so funny that you're, you know, your top three all-time favorite movies doesn't even have any music in it. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even notice, you know? It's, that's, why, and I guess, that's why that film feels so real to me is because there's no... Um, it must feel so real to everybody and terrifying because there's no... As the suspense builds, there's no like, or like, you know, there's nothing. It's just, it's just a guy standing behind the door with his socks on about to shoot you with a shotgun with a silencer on it. <laughs> Silence has never sounded so loud in a film. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's, I mean, it's, it's flawless, that film. And then I, I was reading Inglorious Bastards. I've got that one just because I love, I love that film. And I just sort of, not that like the thing I'm, the thing I'm writing is really sad and dramatic, so. But I just sort of love the flow of dialogue in uh, uh, Tarantino films. I haven't got. I've been. I've watched. Been watching a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson stuff. Um, I watched Eight and a Half the other night. We watched Breathless, which I mean, I love uh, anything by John Luc Godard. It's great. I don't know. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> Are you drawing on? Um, you mentioned Eight and a Half. There is that something you're kind of drawing on for the Italian shot? Is there anything there that's going to carry in? Um, aesthetically, it's it's got some and kind of, kind of, kind of. It's it's it still feels pretty real. It's a, the film's called Lavoro. It's just about that's a working title. It's just it's, that's Italian just for work. So it's just about it's the same thing. It's about process over product. It's about remembering that remembering that the the thing the thing you appreciate most, the thing that you remember most, and when you make something or even when you experience anything, is 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 the like is the hard work that you do you know i mean if I, I i'm if if i can speak to any of that i can i can tell you that um i love playing shows and love feeling those shows but it's such a different experience from learning experience from when you're making it you know at what point did you you kind of come to that realization was that something you had in your head from the kind of the beginning no not really um i was i was sort of you know when you're like young you just want to be in a band and you just want to write music and stand on stage and play songs and my fr- actually my friend gave me that book this girl I had a crush on when I was like 20 <laughs> gave me um, uh, Letters to a Young Poet, this Randy Rilke book, and it's really cool. I mean, it's one of my, it's like a mantra of mine. It's like a, a centering point. It's like a centering mechanism. Uh, I read it every now and then because it sort of just makes me, you just remember that like, rem- reminds me that like sometimes in your, in the, the depth of your sadness or when you really, really feel like you can't, um, you can't do it or you, you're, you're second guessing everything that's usually at the point where you've got to hold on to those feelings while you're down there in that weird place and write it down and, and experience it feel everything you know I think Taika Waititi did it in the end of um, and it was what really shocked me he's a friend of mine and, and, and I, I hadn't seen that to Jojo Rabbit he says it and Rainier Milka Marie Rilke quote right at the end it says let everything happen to you that always reminds me that like that as whilst you are creating is, is a very important thing for me. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess I was like 20 or 21, maybe. No, I would have been older than that. 20, 22, 23. After I'd read, I think I'd read like all those books that Nick had gotten me. Yeah. This girl gave me this book and it sort of like changed my, my, my whole process of changed. It had a huge impact on changing how I work, you know? And at the same time, I think, um, I'd heard like bone machine by Tom Waits. And that made me think, whoa, there's no one way of making an album. Like, like that's still my favorite album to this day of all time. 
And like you, you, the first time I heard that, I was just like, what the fuck is this, man? <laughs> like, like, what is this? Like, it just got these, it's got these sounds of just like logs hitting on the ground and these squeaky chairs and these beautiful, these spoken words. And then like, it sounds like all of his amps have been dropped on the ground. And, but then like the more and more I listened to it, the more like I found these little idiosyncrasies and I thought you can make whatever you want. You can do, you can make it, do whatever you want as long as it means something to you. And I don't know. I guess that was that was I was probably twenty three, twenty four is when I when I realized that that was the most important part, the, the the making of it. You know, you were speaking about how you always come back to lights from a young poet, and you know you you revisit and you reread it quite frequently. What other pieces of art, whether that be albums or films, do you kind of find yourself coming back to a lot and still being able to to gain something from? It goes in stages. Stuff that I always come back to is that book. I go. I went through like. A huge, I went through a huge thing with Channel Orange about three years ago, my friend Goshen. I was like, like every day, I was into it every day. That, see, that's not, so, that's, not the same, that's not the right thing. That's not what you just asked me. I guess it's like, I love Letters to a Young, young Poet. I love Bone Machine. It sort of reminds me of what it does the most is those two things. I guess films, I didn't really have any super favorite ones that like gave me, I don't think I even I had the emotional maturity to appreciate really exquisite cinema until I got a bit older. Like I was like, I think like my favorite film when I was 22 was like Pulp Fiction or something like that. Or might've been even like something more cheesy than that. Might've been like, it might, it might've been more like the, the joke in Tame Impala is like, yeah, when Cam can't sleep, no one sleeps because Cam sits in the back lounge of the bus and listens and watches they quote unquote explosion films. <laughs> like, yeah. Like they're like, yeah, I couldn't sleep last night. Cam was had insomnia. So he put on Terminator 2 at three in the morning. Yeah, I guess I, I didn't really, not films to answer your question, not films did I have like something that I always came back to. But I think Rainier, that book, that book and that album remind me of the conviction I had when I was like 24. I was talking about this with a friend of mine a couple of days ago that it always reminds me of like, because now these days, sometimes when I'm putting stuff together, I'm like, oh, should that be like that? Or maybe that's not that. Maybe that doesn't even need to be on there. And which is good, you know, as you get older, you should, you know, not act as impulsively. And then like, but I, but I loved the pure and utter conviction I had when I was, when I was like 24, I was like, fuck you. This is what I'm going to do. I had, I was, I was, I had a lot, I was, uh, I was fearless. So um, I was listening to some other podcast. I was listening to this Joe Rogan podcast and I think it was like, uh, he was talking with this amazing psychologist. I can't remember his name. And there's that Bob Dylan quote that Bob Dylan took from somewhere else. It's like, in order to be an artist, you've got to be, you've got to have no fear, no meanness, and no envy. So when I listen to, when I read Rainy Rilke, that, that book in particular, and I listen to Bone Machine, I have that feeling. I feel like that fearlessness that you're speaking about is what gets you to the position you're in today. And then once you get there and you start to kind of change, the music does as well. Like what you were saying there about reaching emotional maturity. I imagine that has quite a sizable impact upon your creativity as well and changes it in quite a fundamental way. Totally. I feel like I, feel like I didn't, like, as much as I admire that in my 20, I mean, it's not that long ago, but it's eight years ago. Nine, but a lot's happened between now and then to me, I feel anyway. I say all the time, I'm like, I, don't, I won't know like shit until I'm like 40. Especially for the, the things that I want to say and, and the things I want to feel take it or leave it like i'm not trying to be self-deprecating i just don't think i'll make anything great until i'm until i'm a little bit older i don't have i'm still i'm still like i still feel like a kid you know i didn't you know you don't really grow up a lot when you're in a band (laughs) you know 
I, mean, I would talk about that. One of my friends is a professional sportsman, and, and I was like, you are, you're still, and he's 43. I'm like, you're still a kid, man. I was like, because all you've ever done since you were 17 is play a game, win a game, <laughs> you know. There's something, there's something about that they're completely devoting your life to, whether it be sport or art, and just giving everything to it that is... I had a mentor in sport when I was younger, and, and, he, uh, and he instilled that in me. He was like, pick something and commit your entire life to it, and, you, and you'll be completely rewarded. Whether it's winning or losing. Losing, more importantly. You know. What's the most important lesson you've learned from losing? Mm, the obvious one is that not, what not to do. When you lose, you, uh, there's like it checks your ego, makes you question your decision-making in a good way, makes you work harder the next time you do it, makes you know it when you're in that position again, you'll know exactly where you are. Like l- losing, again, uh, yeah, losing is, is, is far more important than winning, I think. And... and no, you know, it's hard to fail in art because, you know, everything's subjective. It's a, you know, you can make anything that's anything and it can be anything and who's to say whether it's good or bad other than popular opinion. You can definitely um, take wins and losses away from certain things. It's hard to think about sometimes, but take wins and losses away from things that you've made or shows that you've done or whatever, films, books. You, there's always, like, self-reflection. It's, it, it ultimately, I guess, losing ultimately boils down to self-reflection. It's quite like a potent. It's quite a potent catalyst for self-reflection. There's nothing else that really drives it like failure, and that forces you to kind of look in on yourself. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no like winning. Like winning, you just you. you most of the time, you're experiencing euphoria, and you're experiencing. There's all these other chemicals going around in your brain. You're not really thinking about the next stage, at least not for a little while. You know, you're not going to be thinking about how to improve unless there's a greater goal. You know, once you achieve a goal, it's like the guy who sort of. He was like a big sort of mentor when I was a kid. He used to say, make your, make your goals uh, measurable and achievable. And, and unless you've got, when you win something, unless you've not achieved the milestone that you set out for yourself, you're going to be like, you know, if you, if you haven't achieved that yet, then you're going to be still looking forward. But if you have, if you've done, if you've passed this point, there's going to be a moment where you're just sort of like, you know, pure just sort of joy and you're not really looking at how to fix yourself i mean obviously winning's great but i think i think i think you can't go through life if you win at everything i think on that same podcast i was talking about last week this joe rogan one they were like talking about how he gets joe rogan gets frustrated when he goes to his daughter's soccer games and um <laughs> no one's keeping score these days anyway and i was talking about it with my friend i was like yeah well, i just remember like as a kid when i lose at things I would just cry, I would cry, and then I'd like have a strop in the car on the way home, and I would feel like, you know, whatever, shitty for two days. It was like my eyes, I, was, I played baseball when I was a kid. We would lose, and then like, then, then you want to practice more, you want to get better. You want to practice, you want to, you want to work harder. Whereas like if this thing is just like at the end of a soccer game, these, these kids, or they get like maybe in, 20, in 2020, growing up in 2020, they're like, oh yeah, nobody wins, nobody loses, it's all about participation. <laughs> it's good in some ways, bad in other ways, I don't know. I think I think you should, I think kids should understand losing at <laughs> a young age, you know. Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of it's shielding them from what the real world real world is like as well. Yeah, it is a little bit, a little little bit. I mean, I just I just remember I was like, man, that'd be crazy not learning how to. I just I just yeah, I remember losing as a kid and teaching you a lot about. It just makes you want to work harder at the thing that you want to be good at. You know. I think it's one of those things like you said at the time it makes you feel pretty miserable but then looking back on it afterwards you're kind of grateful for that experience and what it taught you and how you use it today i mean it still carries through now yeah whether it's in sports or life love you know anything 
You mentioned earlier on as well, just a few minutes back, about someone giving you the advice to kind of set goals for yourself. Mm-hmm. What sort of stuff did you did you have in your head at a kind of earlier age? What were the kind of goals that were kind of quite clear and solidified in your mind that you wanted to achieve and that you were striving for? I didn't really have. I get those goals. I was saying I played like sports when I was a kid. I was gonna like be a professional sportsman until I was like 20, yeah eighteen or nineteen. To be honest, like I I think I came out of that world of rules and goals and practice and review and and all that and I sort of like if I really think about it the last 10 years I want to say I've sort of just been going with like passions and and leading my like literally letting sort of like the love for this or the or a passion for that point me in the right direction and feeling wanting to feel things wanting to feel like whether it's in a, when it's in personal relationships whether it's on stage whether it's writing music I want I want to I want to like feel everything I've been very fortunate to have like you know friends like Kevin from Tame Impala and Al from the Monkees and stuff who are like really two really un- unbelievable no one could help for two better like mentors to to help me through that and help me along the way but and and give me opportunities to 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 play music on a bigger stage and see what that feels like but other than that, I'm, I've, I'm literally, it's weird you ask me that because I've only just sort of started like re, really thinking about goals. Like I, I never really had, I didn't really, I, I, it sounds so dumb, but I didn't really like, I've just done whatever I sort of, whatever I've been feeling over the last 10 years, which is, a, which is I don't think is a great thing. I should have maybe been a bit more focused. <laughs> I think as well, the life never pans out where you want it to go or where you expect it to go. So setting goals, it kind of feels a little bit, redundant sometimes yeah it does no it does i think it's really important how i was just i mean i think it's really important i just wish i'd had the clarity to see it more i think i was just too caught up in the whole thing you know and 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 yeah and feeling the up and feeling the down and a lot of it has been dictated by a lot of the last 10 years have been dictated by just pretty heavy commitment playing the tame impala and um i was playing in pond before that my solo stuff personal relationships working when I can on stuff and but wanting to feel like I've never been one to like I got to feel I got to get this get it done so I can get it out and so I can sell it. I think the monetization of it sometimes gives me the gives me the um give me the shits. I mean, obviously if I'd done that I might have have more money than I do now, but <laughs> I have never sort of thought about it like that. It's such a cliche thing to say, but I've never really like thought about the money thing, which is something I'm trying to get better at, I guess. It's funny you mention that though. I mean, I was just um Listen to an interview we start before we started this with Julian Casablancas, where he was speaking about just how poor money or, or commercial success is as a way of kind of measuring success. It's weird how it's become the most prominent one, but it's it is kind of the most the poorest. Yeah, I don't. I've um, I've really, really. I mean, I've. I mean, obviously, you want to be comfortable and make enough money to, to you know pay the pay the bills. But um, I've never, never, ever looked at financial success as the as the as the measuring post of like of of how how great someone is you know it's like by that measure you know so is the person who invented the washing line i don't know i mean i guess that's great too but i don't know like not in art anyway like by that measure it's like you know exxon you know are really successful <laughs> the guy who runs exxon he's really successful or whatever you know big oil you know those but like i feel like sometimes sometimes not all the time sometimes it's like if you're just looking at dollars and cents, and maybe I'm talking from a place of, of privilege, you know, I don't want to speak out of line. You know, some, if someone's got lots of money and someone's doing something really well, some, something or someone is being exploited. 
So, but we're getting political now. I don't want to get too into that. But it's like, you know, I like not even just something or someone like an idea is being exploited or, uh, um, yeah, a group of people or in case of big oil, like the, the commodity in the ground. Like they, it, it, as soon as something becomes a commodity, then sometimes it can dilute a fulfillment in oneself. Maybe. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still figuring it out for myself. I don't want to, I don't, don't, don't let anyone quote me on any of this. <laughs> No, I completely get what you're saying. I think that's as well why when you look at people who have kind of spent their whole life striving for this notion of commercial success, and that's something that they've always valued themselves upon when they hit midlife, they end up having a midlife crisis because they kind of realize that that's not really the key to fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And you kind of end up feeling quite empty, I guess, as a result of that. Not to be presumptuous, but... No, 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 no. You, you know, you ch- I mean, like, it's like, I mean, I think, I think what you're talking about, there's statistical data <laughs> that says that. That's what a midlife crisis is, is, is a lack of fulfillment because the only thing that they've been chasing is um, more than financial security for their entire, for their entire adult life. I, I mean, not that I don't, you know, it's like, a, like, like I keep saying, it's not that I don't want money and I don't want to work. I mean, I like, I'm, I, like I said, like I've been saying this whole time, I, I really like the work. And I think the work needs to feel fulfilling. And maybe I'm too, too far one way. My mum always says that I am. I love my mum and she's always like, she's like, you're such an artist. And you need to stop, like, just being such an artist and make some money. <laughs> and, but I, and I'm not. I'm not saying I'm, I'm an artist. I'm saying that, like, I think it's maybe half the time that I, like, get scared and shit can a lot of ideas. Like, nah, this feels too, like, close to the knuckle. Like, for me. Like, it needs, it doesn't feel like it needs, but I guess I'm getting better at recognizing. I'm, I'm, you know what, it's been good recently. I've been collaborating a lot more with other people and they're good at going like no this is this is this is good like this is good and people that i trust you know i've got a i've got a really good song a friend of mine that i write with and he doesn't even tell me what to do if i send him a song he's like no he's just changed that lyric he's like and then i'll go what about this he's like yeah that's it or 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 sometimes it's just some someone if i'm in the studio like i work a lot with lauren humphrey he's amazing he uh producer here always one of my best friends and also, like you know, he's played with the played drums, the Last Shadow Puppets, and and uh, Guards, and he also produces a lot of stuff for a lot of people. He's good at going like sometimes I want to show him stuff, and he just needs to give me like a yes or no because otherwise, I, like otherwise, I'll just sit there and stew on it for so long to the point where I'll just delete it. Who's inspired you most creatively in your life? When you're collaborating with other people, you learn these lessons and you learn these different things, and it shows. I think Ke- Kev Parker first and foremost. He like he's the one who first showed me that I could do whatever I wanted to do by myself if I wanted to I think when I was living with him when I was younger he was like he would just do everything by himself you know I, we lived together when he was recording um Lonerism. I think he was the biggest one that was just like it was like there in my face like sh- just showing me not in my not him in my face but it was there live like I could watch him do it watch him you know you know compose write produce mix and now I'm like mastering his own stuff as well, pretty much, kind of, I think. He was the first one that like, I just saw this, like he has, he has ultimate like conviction in his ideas. It might, I mean, sometimes he's say, obviously everyone second guesses himself sometimes, but he has an amazing, incredible conviction in his ideas and, and even better, you know, and his execution is, is completely idiosyncratic to him. He's uh, fearless in many ways. Uh, yeah, he was the first, he was the, he's probably been the biggest creative influence in my entire life, I think. I guess I'm. I mean, Alex is like one of my is is one of my closest friends, and watching him do what he does as well is is, is when he whenever we're working together in the studio is a similar thing. But I think first and foremost, if I'm talking first and foremost, it'd be like Kev. Kev really like changed my brain and showed me that being a 
solo musician as possible because I was kind of in bands when I met him and stuff. I didn't really have my own solo stuff going. I guess it comes well, you know, we're speaking about emotional maturity earlier that you kind of realize that you can be true to yourself. Yeah, totally. And Kev, like, so yeah, Kev never gave me any pep talks. He did sometimes, but it was more like he just sort of showed me by example. He was like, look at this. And he wasn't trying to do it, but he didn't, I didn't think he probably even realized at the time how much of a big influence he had on me as a 20-whatever-year-old. I think that was, a fir- that was the first big one. I was just like, and obviously, yeah. I think I sort of, I sort of felt that when I heard his first album. I was like, Jesus, this guy's amazing. And then watching him work was the biggest one. I was like, whoa. Like as a kid, as a young and like even though we were just sort of buddies and goofing around all the time in the studio, it we're watching him completely produce something and and yeah and have a and have a clear idea and a, and a clear even if he didn't think it was clear, <laughs> have a clear idea and a, and a, and, a, and a, an incredible way to execute it and believe in it enough to to execute it that way was was probably the the biggest um, one in my life. Has having the like Kevin you said Al as well there has having these people inspire you made you think more about the kind of people that you surround yourself with in life if they can have such a positive effect and totally um yeah I mean I've never I've luckily never had to really worry about it I mean or everyone in my life has been has been really really great for me really good really good influence like I'm the I'm the only person that sort of like gets in my own way this has been I've never really had to worry about it. I've been very lucky I mean I think I met Kevin I was I had a really good mentor as a kid when I was playing sports and then. When I got older, I met I met the tame guys and stopped playing sports and and then sort of just watched Kevin do that and then as I got older even more whatever whenever I moved to America I think it was when I moved to America is when I became friends with Al and and the rest of the monkeys guys I met them on a tame on a tame tour I think or a pond tour and then we became really good friends I didn't really have any friends in LA when I moved there Al and I became good friends and yeah so I'm very 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 fortunate and thankful for the people that I have in my life. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.